Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast, Two Sober Chicks. Hey, y'all. I am having a rough day. I'm having a rough go of it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I love every accent from the UK. I am currently watching RuPaul's Drag Race UK. And those accents, oh my god, if I could do them, if I could speak like that, oh, I would have so much fun. I don't think there's anyone more fun than the than the UKers. I was going to say the Brits, but all the folks from the UK, I love you so much. You guys are such a delight as a people listening to you, your sense of humor. I just love you so much. Anyways, I say that because I've had a really difficult uh, week, a very difficult day, and um, tuning into RuPaul and hearing all those lovely UK accents just makes my day. Um, I've been stuck in a lot of fear today, and uh, this week I am not where I want to be in the south with my husband. I'm up in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Our lockdowns are quite severe, and I just feel like the everything's closing in on us and it's very scary. So in light of that, what's really neat is I have been thinking about you guys all day because I don't want to not podcast. I don't want to not be here um, for you and I don't not want to be with you. So I was thinking about what in the hell am I going to talk about on this podcast? And then I realized I never finished the stories. Now I have packed my big book so actually, that's not true. My big book is in my truck, which is downstairs in a parking garage, and I just do not have it in me to go down there. Then I was going to grab my first edition Alcoholics Anonymous book, but that one's packed. So luckily for all of us, you can go online to aa.org and you can find all of the pages in the big book in the 12 and 12. And what's funny is I had to look back on our track list to see what story I left off on. And it was called The Missing Link. And so I pulled up the next story, which is Fear of Fear. How apropos. Thank you, universe. So I'm going to read that here for you today. I'm not familiar with this story, so consider this a meeting. All right. Second story in part two of the stories of the big book, according to online big book on aa.org. This is page 289. Fear of Fear. This lady was cautious. She decided she wouldn't let herself go in her drinking, and she would never, never take that morning drink. I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I thought my problem was that I had been married to a drunk for 27 years. And when my husband found AA, I came to the second meeting with him. I thought it was wonderful, simply marvelous for him, but not for me. Then I went to another meeting, and I still thought it was wonderful for him, but not for me. That was on a hot summer evening down in the Greenwich Village group, and there was a little porch out there in the old meeting place on Sullivan Street, and after the meeting, I went out on the steps for some air. In the doorway stood a lovely young girl who said, Are you one of us souses? Oh my god! <laughs> this is a UK story! Oh my God, souses. <sighs> my heart. I could cry right now. Um, a souse 
according to my understanding from Drag Race UK, is like a, a house lady, like a like a, a housewife. Let me see. This is hilarious definition. Souse. I know all you UKers are probably laughing at me right now. N oh, no. I'm thinking of scouse. Okay. My brain is dead. All right. So souse is to soak in or drench with liquid. As a noun, it means it's a drunkard. I think of soused because of faulty towers. I grew up on faulty towers, and that was one of the terms given by um, Polly in faulty towers when she was describing their like little helper, and he was soused that, and he was drunk. <laughs> I'm too RuPauled up a scouse, scouse. No. A scouse is a scouser, term for people originating in Liverpool. So my dad was born in Liverpool, so he's a scouse. Anyways, there's also apparently a baked dish or stew. So I'm wrong on all counts, but let's move on. <sighs> Thanks for hanging in there with me. Are you one of us scouses too? Read drunkard. I said, oh, goodness, no. My husband is. He's in there. She told me her name and I said, I know you from somewhere. It turned out that she had been in high school with my daughter. I said, Eileen, are you one of those people? And she said, oh, yes, I'm in this. As we walked back through the hall, I, for the first time in my life, said to another human being, I'm having trouble with my drinking, too. She took me by the hand and introduced me to the woman that I'm very proud to call my sponsor. This woman and her husband are both in AA, and she said to me, Oh, but you're not the alcoholic, it's your husband. I said, Yes. She said, How long have you been married? I said, 27 years. She said, 27 years to an alcoholic? How did you ever stand it? I thought, Now here's a nice sympathetic soul. This is for me. I said, well, I stood it to keep the home together and for the children's sake. She said, yes, I know. You're just a martyr, aren't you? I walked away from that woman grinding my teeth and cursing under my breath. Fortunately, I didn't say a word to George on the way home. And that night, I tried to go to sleep. But I thought, you're some martyr, Jane. Let's look at the record. And when I looked at it... I knew I was just as much a drunk as George was, if not worse. I nudged George the next morning and said, I'm in. And he said, oh, I knew you'd make it. I started drinking nearly 30 years ago, right after I was married. My first drinking spree was on corn liquor, and I was allergic to it, believe me. I was deathly sick every time I took a drink, but we had to do a lot of entertaining. My husband liked to have a good time. I was very young, and I wanted to have a good time too. The only way I knew how to do it was to drink right along with him. I got into terrific trouble with my drinking. I was afraid, and I had made up my mind that I would get drunk, that I would never get drunk, so I was watchful and careful. We had a small child, and I loved her dearly, so that held me qu qu back quite a bit in my drinking career. 
Even so, every time I drank, I seemed to get in trouble. I always wanted to drink too much, so I was watchful, always watchful, counting my drinks. If we were invited to go to a formal party, and I knew they were only going to have one or two drinks, I wouldn't have any. I was being very cagey because I knew that if I did take one or two, I might want to take five or six or seven or eight. I did stay fairly good for a few years, but I wasn't happy and I didn't ever let myself go in my drinking. After my son, our second child, came along, and as he became school age and was away at school most of the time, something happened. I really started drinking with a bang. I never went to a hospital. I never lost a job. I was never in jail. And, unlike many others, I never took a drink in the morning. I needed a drink, but I was afraid to take a morning drink because I didn't want to be a drunk. I became a drunk anyway, but I was scared to death to take that morning drink. I was accused of it many times when I went to play bridge in the afternoon, but I really never did take a morning drink. I was still woozy from the night before. I should have lost my husband, and I think that the only fact that he was an alcoholic too kept us together. No one else would have stayed with me. Many women who have reached the stage that I had reached in my drinking have lost husbands, children, homes, everything they hold dear. I have been very fortunate in many ways. The important thing I lost was my own self-respect. I could feel fear coming into my life. I couldn't face people. I couldn't look them straight in the eyes, though I had always been a self-possessed, brazen person. I'd brazen anything out. I lied like a trooper to get out of many scrapes. But I felt a fear coming into my life, and I couldn't cope with it. I got so that I had... I got so that I hid quite a bit of the time, wouldn't answer the phone, and stayed by myself as much as I could. I noticed that I was avoiding all my social friends except for my bridge club. I couldn't keep up with any of my other friends, and I wouldn't go to anyone's house unless I knew they drank as heavily as I did. I never knew it was the first drink that did it. I thought I was losing my mind when I realized that I couldn't stop drinking. That frightened me terribly. George tried many times to go on the wagon. If I had been sincere in what I thought I wanted more than anything else in life, a sober husband and a happy, contented home, I would have gone on the wagon with him. I did try for a day or two, but something would always come up that would throw me. It would be a little thing, the rugs being crooked or any silly little thing that I'd think was wrong, and off I'd go, drinking and sneaking my drinks. I had bottles hidden all over the apartment. I didn't think my children knew about it, but I found out they did. It's surprising how we think we fool everybody in our drinking. I reached a stage where I couldn't go into my apartment without a drink. It didn't bother me anymore whether George was drinking or not. I had to have liquor. Sometimes I would lie on the bathroom floor, deathly sick, praying I would die, and praying to God as I always had prayed to him when I was drinking. Dear God, get me out of this one and I'll never do it again. And then I'd say, God, don't pay any attention to me. You know I'll do it tomorrow. The very same thing. I used to make excuses to try and get George off the wagon. I'd get so fed up with drinking all alone and bearing the burden of guilt all by myself that I'd egg him on to drink, 
to get started again. And then I'd fight with him because he had started, and the whole merry-go-round would be on again. And he, poor dear, didn't know what was going on. He used to wonder when he'd spot one of my bottles around the house just how he could have overlooked that particular bottle. I myself didn't know all the places I had them hidden. We have only been in AA a few years, but now we're trying to make up for lost time. 27 years of confusion is what my early married life was. Now the picture has changed completely. We have faith in each other, trust in each other, and understanding. AA has given us that. It has taught me so many things. It has changed my thinking entirely about everything I do. I can't afford resentments against anyone because they are the buildup of another drink. I must live and let live. And think, that one important word means so much to me. My life was always act and react. I never stopped to think. I just didn't give a whoop about myself or anyone else. I tried to live our program. My husband's calling me. I try to... I try to live our program as it has been outlined to me, one day at a time. I try to live today so that tomorrow I won't be ashamed when I wake up in the morning. In the old days, I hated to wake up and look back at what last night had been like. I could never face it the next morning. And unless I had some rosy picture of what was going to happen that day, I wouldn't even feel like getting up in the morning at all. It really wasn't living. Now I feel so very grateful, not only for my sobriety, which I try to maintain day by day, but I'm grateful also for the ability to help other people. I never thought I could be useful to anyone except my husband and my children, and perhaps a few friends. But AA has shown me that I can help other alcoholics. Many of my neighbors devoted time to volunteer work. There was one woman especially, and I'd watch her from my window every morning, leaving faithfully to go to the hospital in the neighborhood. I said to her one day when I met her on the street, what sort of volunteer work do you do? She told me it was simple. I could have done it very easily. She said, why don't you do it too? I said, I'd love to. She said, suppose I put your name down as a volunteer, even if you can only give one or two days. But then I thought, well, now wait. How will I feel next Tuesday? How will I feel next Friday? If I make it a Friday, how will I feel next Saturday morning? I never knew. I was afraid to set even one day. I could never be sure I'd have a clear head and hands that were willing to do some work. So I never did any volunteer work. And I felt depleted, whipped. I had the time. I certainly had the capability, but I never did a thing. I am trying now each day to make up for all those selfish, thoughtless, foolish things I did in my drinking days. I hope that I never forget to be grateful. Well, I can't tell you how much I identified with all the stuff in that story. Thank you, Jane. What's her name, Jane? Um, yeah, that was pretty awesome. All right. Well, thank you y'all for being with me. I would like to say that I feel better after this meeting, and I do, but I definitely still feel a a great degree of um, mental exhaustion and emotional hangover. And I know I'm not alone in that. 
This is a crazy time we're living in. And it just seems like everywhere we look, we're getting pummeled by something. So what I do have is hope and hope that can't be taken away from me because I've been in this program for 10 years and it's what I have had a steady diet of for those 10 years. So I do know that things change, all things pass, all things change. And sometimes we just got to be in the transition, not knowing and not understanding. And so I thank you that I am in a community of equals, of like-minded people, of people that get it. I know this is resonating with a lot of you and I'm with you in this, y'all. I'm with you every step of the way. So thank you for being with here, with me here. Thanks for listening to me and I look forward to talking to you soon. Bye.